from work and I just knowing that I'm getting married in two months and just started thinking, man, I don't have a down payment for like an apartment. You know, where's my dad going to go if I move out? Because he depends on me to pay the mortgage. And my sister lives at my house. So where's my two year old niece going to go? You know, and I just started thinking and thinking and this problem just became like this huge weight on my shoulders, you know. And I was just like, oh, I need, I, I, you know, my heart started pounding with anxiety. And I just like, as soon as I got home, I, I parked my car and I just, I ran to my room. Like I needed to get on my knees and pray. So when I started praying, I got on my knees for five minutes and then I picked up my guitar and then I just started playing and praying and just singing to God and how good he is even dur during this trial. And then just like I, j I just got rocked, like my heart just shook and I just got filled with so much comfort, peace and joy and emotion. <laughs> and uh, yeah, basically that that big problem that was such a weight in my shoulders just sh just shrank, just became something so small, like not a big deal. And I just knew that God is in control no matter what situation we are in. I just hope that was just something that, you know, you could uh, use in your life, whoever's going through a trial or a problem in their life. I just want to share a verse with you. Um, in Psalms 34, verse, uh, yeah, Psalm chapter 34, verse 10, it says, The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Ah, God is good. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are always in control, Lord, and that you are always mindful of us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what trials we go through, Lord, no matter what what uh, drama we're going through, Lord, you always, you're always in control, Lord, and these problems just become to shrink, Lord, the more we grow closer to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do, Lord. I pray that today will be your way, Lord, and not our ways, Lord. I pray that today will be up to your expectations, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet for me, please? Sound of your praises 
our future lies in the hope of our Savior. Yes, we are. Yes, we are devoted. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, we are devoted to you. Your light will shine in the darkest. Your light will shine in the dark, in the dark. Sing that out. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my Like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, and like a covenant of Your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon. 
Ever be 
ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my
you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. We thank you, God, that you can be found today, and we worship you. Come on, worship Jesus in your own words right now. Let him know how much he means to you. Let him know that you're thankful for all the good that he has done. Come on, worship him. Worship him, Jesus. You are good, and what you do is good. We have tasted and seen of your goodness, oh God. We will tell the world of your greatness. today as a family. The reason why we take communion together the first Sunday of every month is because this is our Christian worldview. I mean, I'm sorry, this is our confession of faith. It's because this is an ordinance that we practice as believers, as the church of Jesus Christ. We do this so that we can remember the Lord. He said, do this in remembrance of him. But before I do, as we prepare our hearts to partake of this together, I want to preach the gospel to you from Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This message is for those of you this afternoon who are not right with God. You have not been born again. You have not repented of your sins and surrendered your all to Jesus Christ, allowing him to wash you clean. This is your invitation. He says, come, come and partake of this free gift of the water of life. For many of you, this world has left you high and dry. You are thirsty in your soul. And I want to let you know that Jesus can quench that thirst. He is the only one that can do it. He is the only one that can fulfill you, redeem you, save you, sanctify you. Here is the free gift. The invitation is open to all. You can accept it or reject it today. But I pray with all of my heart that you accept this free gift of the water of life. So with all eyes closed all across this room, I'm going to begin to pray for you. A prayer of salvation. And I want you to come into agreement with this prayer. If you want to get your life right with God today, no more playing games, no more putting it off for tomorrow, no more making excuses that you're not good enough. Come, he says. Come, he says. Come, he says. The invitation is open to you. Come today. Come now. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room who has the ability to hear this gospel message, the good news that Jesus saves. 
I pray that today they would surrender their life, turn from their ways, turn to you to receive the forgiveness of their sins, be made alive on the inside in their spirit, be born of God. Let today be their spiritual birthday. Draw all men to repentance, oh God, by your loving kindness. Do it right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. And everybody said, amen. Praise God. If that was you and you mean business with Jesus today, you're going to have an opportunity at the end of communion to receive prayer from some prayer workers right before, uh, during our fellowship time. So we just want to let you know that you can be encouraged and that we're here for you as a church to see you fulfill God's call on your life. Who's ready to do communion? Partake of communion together. The Bible says that we are to do this in remembrance of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. We're going to partake together of the wafer. If you could hold it up, we're going to pray. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was beaten and bruised for us. We thank you for the nails that pierced your hands and your feet, the crown of thorns that was placed upon your head. You were beaten for us, oh God. You were whipped for us. Jesus, we remember and we thank you. We thank you for taking our place. We thank you that by your wounds we are healed today. And as your church, as your bride, we say, come, Lord Jesus. We're waiting for your return. Let's partake of the wafer together. Jesus, the blood that he shed on the cross. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for the sins of all the world. Because we know that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, we could come and we could be saved. We thank you that by your blood we are washed clean, white like snow. Our sins are taken as far as the east is from the west. We remember you and we thank you, Jesus. Let's partake of the grape juice together. Hallelujah. Praise him. We're going to enter into another song of worship. The ushers will collect the remainder of the elements. Let's worship the Lord as the body of Christ together. One more time. Hallelujah, he will be praised. The angels and saints will sing worthy are you, Lord. You will be praised. You will be praised. The angels and saints will sing worthy are you, Come on, let's lift up our hands all across this room. We join with and we sing worthy. Come on.
your name. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you died and rose again so that we can have new life. Be glorified in this service, in us and through us, God, in the rest of this service. Have your way, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time. Hallelujah. It's good to see everybody here today. We're going to confess our confession of faith at this time. The reason why we do this as a church every week is because this is our Christian worldview. This is the lens in which we see the world around us, and it's grounded on the Word of God. So if you're with me, let's recite this together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and Creator, who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Glory. Spend some time fellowshipping. Meet somebody that you don't know. And come forward and receive prayer if you need it.
All right, all right. Who's excited to be at the 1 p.m. service today? Woo! It's so wonderful to see all of you beautiful people. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Welcome on behalf of all of our leaders and pastors here, especially if this is your first time. We want you to keep on coming back. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. We have King's Kids in the back for children, infant to 11 years old. So feel free to always invite friends that have children. If they're uh, in this room today and that in that age group, feel free to bring them on the back. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. For students 11 to 18 years old, God is doing awesome things in our youth ministry. So if you're in that age group, Elevate is where you want to be on Friday night. So uh, invite your friends. Who's excited about next week? <laughs> if you didn't know what it, what's happening, we're having our All Nations Dinner July 10th, next week, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. service. So come representing your country with a wonderful dish, whether it be a, an entree or a dessert. You can let Pastor Suella know the name of your entree with some of the few ingredients that will be in it and what country it, come from, it comes from. But we're very excited. We want you guys to make sure that you're inviting your friends and your family, especially those that don't know the Lord, to be with us on these special outreach Sundays this month for our soul-winning summer. So let's get ready to um, come with big appetites. I know I'm going to have a big, big appetite. I know Isha will probably have a big appetite. <laughs> I don't know about all of you guys, but we're going to come ready to eat. But we also want to come representing our country. So let's make that a fun time. Our vision here at MPI is loving God and loving people. We want to do that with all of our heart. And those are the, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us to live our life by. And our strategy here is to connect, mentor, and to send you. We want to connect you to the church and to Christ through our uh, life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And our goal through doing all that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. How many of you guys get excited when you hear that every week? Come on. We have some special announcements for you. If you could turn your hand out around, you're going to see the new quarter schedule of our life groups. So some of them are new. Some have stayed the same. We're so excited for this summer. We're going to play a video for you so that you can see um, all the leaders that run the life groups face-to-face -face here on the screen. They're inviting you to their life group, the kind of life group that they're leading. So take a look, get excited, and make plans to get connected. So here we go. This is for the new quarter for July, August, and September.
come on, let's give it up for all the beautiful life groups and all that God is going to do through you guys attending. So that's what we want you guys to do. We want you to get connected. So take a look at the hand on the back. You can keep reminding yourself of a schedule. Really find a place that you and your family can get connected to. So here's a snapshot of this week. Kicking it off today are our single moms. Childcare is provided for them. 5.30 p.m. They're meeting today at that address as soon as it comes back onto the screen. Also, our singles, come on, give it up for our singles, 18 to 35 years old. They're meeting here at the church today at 4 p.m., just an awesome group of people who love God and want to fellowship with each other and encourage others in their walk with the Lord to keep going after God. So they're going to have so much fun here today. Tuesday, we have the Resistance Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. here at the church. Wednesday, Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group is meeting, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. at that address. Wednesday, every week, we have our King's Kids Life Group. Infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Parents, you want your children to be a part of this program. It is beautiful. Thursday every week is our gang outreach life group, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. meeting here at the church, bringing the gospel to the streets. And uh, every Friday we have two adult Bible studies for you guys, one at the Goveas, the other one at the Vivids. 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Check out those addresses. Find a place to get connected. Look to your neighbor. Say it's time to get connected. Look to your other neighbor. Say, no excuses. All right, come on. Encourage. Say, I'm going to bring you with me next time I go. We also want to mentor you. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. We have a 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. This is done one-on-one -on -one with a leader in the church who really wants to pour into your life, encourage you to be all that God has called you to be. When you graduate 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. This is where we train you to be a leader. We equip you. You continue to remain free in your walk with God and be all that God has called you to be so that one day you could be ordained as a deacon or an elder here. And then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. We want to send you out to do evangelism, preach the gospel on the streets. Every Saturday from 5 to 8, we meet here at the church at 5. They're hitting the streets. If you've never done it, I want to really encourage you to do so. The Bible says that he who um, refreshes, refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. And so if you're kind of in a rut, you don't feel like God's speaking to you, or you kind of, you know, you feel like you haven't, you haven't been growing in your walk with the Lord, go out and preach the gospel, okay? Tell other people about the good news that Jesus saves. Get your eyes off of yourself onto the lost and dying world around us because they need to hear about Jesus. And I promise you, your life will be changed and transformed. And if you get nervous, you're scared, you don't know how to do it, that's where you get trained. So it's a powerful time of ministry and you getting closer to Jesus through it as well. So when you recap, NPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal, a vision of loving God and loving people, a strategy to connect, mentor, and to send you, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a what, what? Come on. Who's excited to give their tithes and offerings today as an act of worship to the Lord? Oh, I like that. You guys were a little bit more excited than the first service. That was great. I'm just teasing. They were good, too. Here at MPI, we believe that a tithe is 10% of our total income. So if we get a check for $1,000, what's the tithe off of $1,000? 
what is it? 100, very good. $100 is 10% of 1,000. So we want to be faithful with that tithe. That belongs to the Lord. And an offering is anything above that, whatever amount God puts on your heart. That is not supposed to be done in a begrudging way. It should be done with a cheerful heart because God loves cheerful givers. And we designate our offering here towards missions and towards various building projects, building funds that we do throughout the year. So let's turn our attention right now to the Disciples Giving Book Lesson. You could go to givingbook.org if you want to follow along on your phone. We're on section two, lesson three. Offerings imitate God's generosity. How many of you guys know that we serve a generous God? He is the greatest example of that. The offering is a gift to God after our tithe. We're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Isn't that awesome? His indescribable gift, a gift that he's given that is beyond description. That is the God that we serve. Here are three main points from that verse alone. Number one, thanks be to God. Everyone in the entire world needs to offer praise to God because he is the source of everything good in our lives. How many of you guys know that everything good in your life comes from God? He is to be praised because of that, and thanks be unto him. For example, God has given us the ability to live, think, and be productive in business. We could not do one thing apart from God's amazing grace, from God's goodness. Number two, indescribable gift. The greatest gift that God the Father has given us is his son, Jesus Christ. As a result, the Father is the greatest gift giver in the entire universe. We are to learn from his example. If he gave us the best, we give God our best, not our leftovers, right? Number three, imitate God's generosity. All Christians should be compelled to live lives of generosity because they understand that the God we serve is a great, big, generous gift giver. 3 John 1.11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. And the definition of good comes from the word of God, and it's through Jesus. We can't make up our own definition of good because it all comes, it stems through God and his word. He is our example. So in summary, be an imitator of God by being a generous giver. How many of you guys want to be generous givers? I know many of you guys are already are, but if you've struggled in this area, I want you to be encouraged and look to God as your example. Here are three ways you could apply this to your life. Number one, be a faithful tither. Don't give up. Keep doing it. Stay faithful. Don't skip a beat and watch God provide, and you will see amazing things in your life. Number two, praise God for all that he has given you. And three, imitate God in all that you do. So if you want that for your life, let's confess this together on the count of three. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. We'll always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Please stand up to your feet this afternoon as we prepare to give God our very best, the best of our tithe, the best of our offerings. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our income given regularly to the church. We designate offering anything above that towards missions and building. And if you look on the envelope, you'll see the different categories. Just put the specific amount that you want to go towards each one. Here are four ways that you could give here at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. 
number two in the wall-mounted drop boxes, number three in the back with a credit or debit card. If you have any questions about that, you can see Pastor Griselda today. And four, you could go online with Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Very easy, very convenient. I want you guys to give it up for MPI and the Lord. Come on, this is our soul-winning summer update. We have raised $3,364. That was for May and June. We have July, August, September, and October left. That's four months left for our soul-winning summer building fund. That leaves us with $4,636 left. We are so excited. We are so thankful for your generosity, your heart to give. For those that have prayed to partner to give, thank you. If you haven't joined us already, please do so. Ask God what he would want you to give because we're going to keep pushing through, keep preaching, keep winning the loss, keep making disciples because we want this to be all for God's glory. But we couldn't do it without you. This is not a one-man show. It's all of us coming together, being obedient to the Lord, saying, God, what do you want me to give? And we're going to see Chicago change, changing Chicago and the world one soul at a time. So give it up one more time for, for yourselves and for Jesus. It's happening. And we're so pumped about all that God is doing and going to continue to do. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your generosity. We thank you, God, that you are the greatest example of such a generous gift giver. You've lavished us, God, with your goodness, and we in turn want to be faithful first and foremost with our finances. We give you the tithe. We give you our offering today. Bless it and multiply it for your glory. Meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We want the world to hear. We want Chicago to be saved. We want the nations to hear and to know the, the true Jesus, the gospel message to be heard. And I pray that you would use us to be your hands and your feet on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this afternoon, and we thank you so much for your generosity. All right, how many are ready for the word? Can I get an amen? Come on, how many are excited? I'm so happy you guys are here. Thank you, thank you for coming to our second service. 
We are doing wonderful. How many are going to enjoy a 4th of July celebration tomorrow? Going to do some fun stuff? I want you guys to think about this, about 4th of July, as an opportunity for you guys to share your faith with somebody. So last 4th of July, my father and I, we had uh, family friends over, and uh, they didn't know the Lord. And so during the time of barbecuing and hanging out, we started to share our testimony with them. And so I want you to think of about two or three people you're going to see tomorrow that you can share your testimony with, that you can share the good news of Jesus Christ with. Now tomorrow, if you're not going anywhere, then just think of a coworker, because I want to pray that we can make some differences tomorrow in somebody's life. Can you guys believe that with me? Because this is a great time for friends and family to hear our hearts. And like I said last year, I had a family friend over just in the neighborhood. We always hang out with their kids. Uh, the kids hang out with our kids. And while he was over there, just while the kids were playing, we just started talking. And, hey, what do you think about God? And he goes, well, I go to the Catholic Church. And I go, oh, Dad, you used to be Catholic. Tell him why you don't go to the Catholic Church anymore. And my dad said, well, you know, it's a lot about religion. It's not necessarily about a relationship. I came to know Jesus personally. And then I shared my testimony. And you see, that's the kind of difference we can make tomorrow. How many want to do that? Amen. So let's pray right now. Father. Put in our hearts tomorrow to reach people with your love. We don't want to be awkward. We don't want to be weird. But we want to share your love tomorrow with our friends and family. We'll see some people that we don't get the chance to see. Others we don't get to see a lot of. And tomorrow we ask to use that opportunity to speak your word. Each person, come on, think of three people and name their names right now. Even if you're not planning on seeing a cousin or an uncle or friend who doesn't know Jesus, think of a neighbor. Maybe you could invite them over and just say, hey, do you want to come get something to eat with us? Or go over to their house and just see if they want to hang out a little bit. Just make an effort. Come on, three people. Right now I have Muslim neighbors. Yesterday they were celebrating the highest holy day in Islam, which happens during Ramadan. And yesterday, they actually gave me food. They handed it over the fence. They were very kind. And there's about five men that live there because they work for a shipping uh, company, and they rent the house. And so I'm praying for these men. Tomorrow, I want to see them. I want to ask them to come over. Come on, who are you praying for right now? Jesus, help us to make a difference. Help us to share your love with our friends and family. We don't want to be argumentative. We don't want to start a fight. But we do want people to know how much we love you and how much you love them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. It's those things that will make a difference. All right. So we're in our sermon series, Spiritual Disciplines, started after Easter. It's been a lot of fun. Today we're going to actually be talking about uh, soul journaling. We'll get to that in just a moment. But let's go to our sermon series scripture in 1 Corinthians Paul is talking to an urban audience. We're an urban city. We can relate to this. I do have to say this. This weighs heavy on my heart. I didn't know if I was going to say this, but uh, we now have uh, outnumbered New York and L.A. in murders this year combined. New York and L.A. combined do not have as many murders as Chicago has right now. It's on my Facebook, friends. We need to be praying for our city. Even more of a reason for you to reach out to your friends tomorrow. Now, this city, Corinth, was an urban city. It was a port city. A lot of people traveled in and out of it. And so Paul is talking to a multiracial ethnic congregation. Look around. Doesn't that kind of look like this congregation? 
He is talking to a multi-generational congregation, young and old. Look around. Don't you see some young, some old, some old? <laughs> we got a Marine back there. He fought for our freedom. Let's get him up for our Marine back there. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Um, we just want to think about this because when we hear Paul talking, we don't want to think that Paul's talking to people that wouldn't that, that, that just we're so different from. No, we can understand who he's talking to. And this city was a city that was one to the Lord, or at least a great number of them were getting one to the Lord because of Paul's preaching. And so cities can change. Corinth was changing. It was a Roman city that was under the uh, influence of Roman paganism, and they were starting to turn to Jesus. How many would like to see Chicago turn to Jesus? Okay, now listen to what Paul says here. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Verse 26, therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, how many know that Summer Olympics is coming up? You guys keep track with this? Anybody? Okay, Summer Olympics are coming up. Do you think right now the people who are going to compete in the Summer Olympics, let's think about the marathon runners, the 100-yard dash runners, the, uh, the swimmers, do you think right now they're eating Chicago stuffed pizza? Do you think they're just sitting on the beach right now just eating those uh, sh um, uh, snow cones and just eating a lot of sugar and candy and going to the carnivals and eating all that I ate this weekend because my, my parents are in town and the kids got their grandparents in, you know, the uh, cotton candy. Do you think that's what they're doing right now? No, they're in strict training. Do you think right now at the end times, the way the world is, do you think right now, you should be eating the cotton candy of this world, the entertainment of this world, the media of this world, or do you think you should be training right now? You should be in strict training. Paul gives us this example because though the Romans conquered the Greek world militarily, the Greek world conquered Rome culturally. The Romans adopted the Greek culture, and a part of the Greek culture was their Olympians, uh, their Olympic games, rather, and their Olympians that would compete, and they would do that for that leafy crown, and that was such a high honor for them, and that was a part of how they were popular in their culture. And Paul is pointing to, pointing to these people going, they run literally for a leaf crown, but we should be running to win to get a crown that lasts forever. Do you believe that there's a crown laid up for you on Judgment Day? Do you believe that on that day God rewards us and says, well done, my good and faithful servant, and gives you the crown of life? Do you believe that? If you do, should you not be training more than they trained for a grass crown or a, feather, uh, a, a leafy crown? Shouldn't you be training more? So look at your spiritual life. Do you take more seriously your spiritual life than an Olympic athlete takes serious their sport life? Think about that. 
Look at ESPN and how they make idols out of these men. No, no offense to those who watch those shows. That's okay. I'm just wanting you to think about this. I go into gyms. You know, I, I have a gym membership. I go in there. ESPN is on all the time. These guys talk about these sports people's lives literally like they are obsessed with them. Oh, what do you think about so-and-so? He's going to be working with this coach. How do you think him and this coach are going to get along? Oh, I wonder if he's going to recover from this inner I- injury. Oh, I wonder if they're going to be able to get along in that city. I know he had some problems in that city. They are literally so involved in these people's lives, they make it almost like an idol, and for some it probably is. I wonder if you're that involved in the Bible today. I wonder if you know about the Bible, you read the Bible, you know what God is doing among the earth, you're following his commands. I wonder if you are that focused on Jesus and the kingdom of God like this world is focused on its sports. What a great comparison, am I right? Something to think about. They idolize their sports. They fill up the stadiums. They talk about these people. They memorize their stats. Now, for those of you here that are not into sports, you know, there's a lot of other things to get distracted with. Ladies, shopping, sales. You may know where it's at, what coupon to get, and where to be. Hello, 4th of July sale coming up. I better get there. I better get there. Now, you can get offended at me for being stereotypical, but you know 90% of the ladies, if not more, can relate to that as their struggle. Maybe guys at sports, women's at shopping. I don't care what it is. The point is this culture has been duped into the bobo of Satan. We get a little bit concerned. Well, what's going on in the world? The devil says, pop this in your mouth and don't think about it. Oh, the cub. Oh, the sock. Oh, stop thinking about the world. Oh, I need a new pair of shoes. Oh, this summer blockbuster's coming out. And what the devil does is he just puts that bobo in your mouth and he goes, shh, shh. Don't you think about that. Don't you think about abortion and what just happened in the Supreme Court, that they can kill babies and not treat it as life. Don't you think about same-sex marriage. Don't you think about the corruption in politics. Don't you think about the Cubs. Think about sports. Think about your 401K. Think about going boating. And, hey, I love boating just as much as everybody else. But think about this and what's happening while we're doing this. We're spiritually out of shape facing a devil, and we're not coming off as winners. We're coming off as users. Do you think the devil's in shape spiritually to fight us? Do you think that he's been around for a while to know our tactics? The Bible says he's like a roaring lion. Listen to me. We have him defeated in Christ. You step outside of Christ, he is the most terrifying force you would ever want to face. He knows everything about you because he has studied humanity. He understands the bait that will have you be trapped. He understands the thoughts that you contemplate, that you think about, the things that will bring you down. He has watched the human race, and he is a patient devil. He knows that you may not bite it all off right now, so he'll give it to you in pieces, little piece by little piece. Whenever I see people leave the church, it's never 666, I love Satan, I'm leaving the church. But it always starts with, I'm a little bit offended at this person, and I'll maybe go find another church, etc. But then you foul their life. They got busy on Sundays while they were looking for another church, and then their job called them up. And then before you know it, six months has gone by, they're not involved in the church because the devil's just luring them. He is a smart foe. And the Bible says we're not unaware of his schemes and his tactics. We should know what he's up to. He's a liar. He's a thief. 
He comes to destroy. He's a destroyer. And so God is looking for a people who go into strict training and who become then a terror to the one who brings terror. The ones God is looking to make us destroyers of the destroyer. He wants us to rain down heaven where there's been hell. And he's saying, let's go into strict training. Let's go into strict training. Let's look at athletes and how they run. Do they run aimlessly when they get on that, that, that track? Do they start running and taking shortcuts? But how many of you are running aimlessly in your Christian walk? How many of you are trying to take shortcuts? Well, God wants me to do this, but I'll figure it out this way. Some of the things that God will ask you to do will come with sacrifice. See, you want to run a mile cutting through the grass. That's not a mile, friends. Four laps around the track. Do it. Look at the physical, then come to the spiritual. Right now, if I just set down the microphone and I say, let's go. Let's all go, church, and do an example of this sermon. Let's go run a mile. Most of you aren't going to be ready for that. Most of you are going to say, I can't do that. Most of you are going to start jogging, then to walking, and then you're going to start taking deep breaths. And you see, then you're going to try to find a way out of that mile. Then you're going to say, well, well, you know, I, I, did, I didn't come to church to run a mile. I wasn't ready. Pastor should have let me know I was going to run a mile today. This wasn't, I didn't come dressed right. I got my high heel. Right, we're going to start making excuses. I remember riding bikes with my friend down to the lake, and uh, he got so far behind us we couldn't see him anymore. It's a friend that we would know, uh, Ishmael. And uh, we couldn't see him anymore, and then we get to the lake. He's not there. And then we're there waiting for him and waiting for him. And then he just comes riding by, no sweat on his face, no, 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 no look of being exercising at all. And we say, how did you get here? And he said, well, you guys left me so far back that I ended up waiting for a bus, put my bike on the bus and rode down here on the bus, and I just got here. And that's the way people want to do it in their spiritual walk. They, they want to say, well, I know I'm saved by grace. Jesus loves me just the way I am. But they don't understand how Jesus loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to stay that way and how God wants to change you. In the physical world, in the physical world, do you go from being obese to being skinny just because you wish to be skinny? Is that how it is in the, in the physical world? In the physical world, if you want to go from obeying, being obese to being skinny, what do you have to do? What do you have to do, people? You have to exercise, don't you? Do you think I can relate to that as your pastor? I love to show this to people. We always have visitors here. All of our sermons are online, by the way, and you can get the notes just like today's notes are online, but I want you to see this. This was me a year ago. This was me right here a year ago. Look at that. How do you think I had to lose 60 pounds? Look at me, people. Come on. You think I just got to sit on the couch and go, well, I just don't like this. I'm just going to change because I just think I deserve it. And it will just happen. No, if I wanted to lose 60 plus pounds and stop being obese, I needed to go into strict training. It hurt. It didn't feel good. Doing burpees doesn't feel good. Going on the stair stepper didn't feel good. And I remember listening to people, and I took their advice. They said, do the thing you hate the most so that you'll have no fear in getting in shape. You'll conquer it. So I was afraid of running a mile and a half. So I got the police department thing of where I should be at if I wanted to be a police officer at 39 years old. How fast would I have to be able to run a mile and a half? And it would be like 14 minutes. And I made that my goal. I'm going to run a mile and a half in 14 minutes. And I hated every minute of it, but I knew it was good. Are you listening? 
I knew if I wanted to lose weight, I had to keep my body moving. I had a short amount of time. I had four children, the fifth one on the way. So I found the thing that kicked my, literally kicked my rear in the hardest. Stair stepper. Have you ever been on the stair stepper before? Set that thing to about 60 steps a minute. That means you're doing one step a second. Do that for about 20 minutes like this, and you will start to feel it burn, baby. Hello. And then my wife turned me on to what I think is satanic. It's from the pit of hell. It's a torture device. It's a torture thing, a plank. Has anybody ever done a plank before? I am a big boy. I'm hefty up top. Literally within 20 seconds of doing a plank, I start to shake. I start to breathe heavy. I can't look at you. I ain't laughing no more. I am serious. Within 30 seconds of me laying down here to do a plank, I would not be laughing. I would start to shake. I would start to grit my teeth. And if I wanted to beat 90 seconds, which is my record, you would literally see beads of sweat start coming down me because that's what it took. Are you listening to me? I had to learn to jump rope. I hated jump roping. When you jump rope, uh, first of all, I never wear shoes. If I, if I can get away with never wearing shoes, I never would wear them, okay? I love the cultures like the Philippines where they never have to wear shoes. I've been to India. They never wear shoes. They actually, in India, their feet grow around their sandals to where their toe, uh, the, the big toe and that other toe are literally separated like this because from a little child, they wear those sandals. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nobody. Okay. Well, that's what happens in India. That's what happens in India. I'll show you a picture if you don't believe me. But that's how I would be if I could. But listen to me. So when I jump rope barefoot with a plastic jump rope, what do you think that felt like if I didn't lift my feet up fast enough and it snapped my, uh, hit my toes? That would hurt. Literally, I would be jumping like this and it would like, you know, snap right on my toes. Like, oh! And you know, the smart thing would be like, well, put on your shoes. And I'm like, no. I'm going to learn to jump rope barefoot without my shoes. And then it just starts over again. You know, you're doing it. I could do about 100 now at a time. But before, I couldn't do more than 10 at a time. And then right on my feet again. But you don't give up. You don't give up. Now, let me ask you this question. If you think today that the Bible teaches us to go into strict training, uses the example of Olympiads, uses the example of boxing, let me ask you something. Do you think spiritual training is going to feel good to your flesh or feel bad to your flesh? What do you think it's going to feel like in the moment of strict training? Feel good in the moment or bad in the moment? Hurtful, painful, sacrificial, right? Do you guys not understand that? I, sometimes I look at you guys and I'm wondering, should we just stay in the physical and start doing aerobics so you feel what I'm actually talking about? Do you all get this? Somebody say strict training. I wish I could have all of us do planks for five minutes right now, do burpees for another five minutes, and then talk to you and go, did that feel good? Think about it. Strict training. The boxer. The boxer goes into strict training. The athlete goes into strict training. The Christian must go into strict training. So let me ask you something now. Let's just keep going physical before we go spiritual. What, what part of this body do you think you got to go into strict training for to live a good life or to please God just in the physical? How about your sexuality? Do you think it's always going to feel good to say no to your sexual desires? Your sexual desires will control you. You are a sexual being, and your sexual desires will control you. Your, your hormones, your testosterone, whatever you want to call it, will control you unless you make your body your slave. Look what Paul says here. He says, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave. What's another thing that will control you physically if you don't stop it? 
your temper. And I know all of you look so nice on Sunday. None of you would ever get mad. None of you would ever yell, right? Nobody here. Pastor, you just write that down, and I'll hand it to my next-door neighbor. Let him read what you're going to say, because I don't need it, right? We're so perfect here. We don't lose our temper. Your temper, think about this, it happens to me just like it happens to you. Your temper will confuse you, deceive you, and make you think God is on your side. You'll be screaming and hollering, and you'll be thinking, I'm right. They deserve it. I'm right. My child deserves it. I'm right. This person in traffic deserves it. And what you don't understand is that you have allowed your body to become your master. And what is a spiritual discipline? What is strict training for the soul? Say, no, body, you're going to serve God. You're going to serve God. My sexuality was meant to honor God, and I'm going to do it God's way. I'm not going to do it my body's way. Bible says be angry and sin not. I'm going to use my temperament to honor God. Is there times to get mad? Is there times to go to war? Yes, there is. But I will not allow my body to dictate when I lose my temper. I will do so with self-control, understanding what I am here to do. This is where we get the sermon series from. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about applying the discipline of soul journaling to our life. Now, I want you to see this for those who haven't been here, and it's always good to review. Where we get spiritual disciplines from is from our sermon series after Easter of spiritual growth. So what does it look like to grow up spiritually? First, we have to know and put our faith in God. Are we saved by spiritual disciplines? Yes or no? No, or am I saved because I do a bunch of good things? No, the Bible says it is by grace through faith that you are saved, not of yourself, for it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So salvation is by faith. Here are the things we believe when we become a Christian. This is the faith we have, knowing, everybody say knowing, that Jesus is God and Savior. How many believe that? Can I hear an Amen. That when you're born again, by putting your faith in who Jesus is, by confessing Jesus as Lord, that Jesus is God and Savior, you also believe that you now share in his divine nature. You are born again. You were born naughty in nature. Now you're born in divine nature. You were born a sinner. Now you're born again a saint. Can I hear an amen to that? And then you believe, you put your faith in God, that you can do all that he commanded you to do. How many believe that? So now say amen if you believe it. Do you believe Jesus is your God and Savior? Do you, you, do you believe you have been born again and share in the divine nature? Do you believe you can do all that God commanded you to do? That is salvation. That's what it means to be born again. No excuses. Jesus is God and my Savior. Not just a good man, the God man. Not just a martyr, but my Savior. Raised from the dead on the third day. Where's Buddha? Still in the grave. Where's Muhammad? Still in the grave. Where's Confucius? Still in the grave. Where's Jesus? Ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father, soon and coming back, right? Number two, I believe I share in the divine nature of God. In my spirit, the Holy Spirit has unified himself with me. He has made me one with him. He has transformed my life. I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Do you believe that? And then I can do all that God commanded to do that I can do. Whatever God has commanded is something I can do. God has not commanded me now as a Christian to do something I cannot do. Our Father in heaven is not an abusive father. This isn't an abusive father. If you don't do this, 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 and this, and this, you can't eat tonight. That is not God. 
God says, I have prepared a table before you. Everyone can come by faith. He is not an unrealistic abusive father who then says, if you can't do 100 push-ups, you won't be able to eat tonight, knowing that the child can't do 100 push-ups. He says, I love you. I prepared a place for you, and this is what I expect from you because I know that you can. He's not abusive. He's not unreasonable. Now, if we know God, we're going to show that we know God. Now, this before we go into the spiritual, let's look at the natural. If I know my wife as my wife and I'm in a relationship with her, am I going to show it? Am I going to display it? If I say I know my wife, but I don't show that I really love her or care for her, is that true love? If I'm in a relationship with my parents and I don't show my adult parents now, if I don't show respect and honor for them, do I really have a love for them? Did honor your father and your mother come with an expiration date? My parents were in the first service. They're here for the weekend. They literally make it like Christmas every time they come around for my kids. They are amazing. But listen, I still have to honor them, do I not? Okay, so now watch this. Let's make it natural with my wife. I say, honey, I love you. You're so beautiful. You're awesome. But honey, I have a girlfriend, and I just don't want you to get mad. But listen, that doesn't change the way I feel about you. I still love you, and I'll be here most nights. It's just every now and then I'm going to be over here. Is that real love? Now let's put it towards, towards spiritual. God, I love you. Just every now and then I'm going to do what the devil wants me to do. Just every now and then I'm going to sin. Just every now and then I'm going to break your commands. You're cool with that, right, God? No, John said this. If you say you know him and do not keep his commandments, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Jesus himself also said, anyone who knows me and loves me will do what I have commanded them. Knowing automatically results in showing. If you're not willing to show your inward love for God with outward obedience, your inward love for God is not faith or true belief. It is make-believe, false faith. In Christianity, we're not playing make-believe. I am not make-believing in God as my Savior, me being born again, and me saying I'm going to keep his commands. I am not a hypocrite. I am not a make-believer. I am a true believer. I have biblical faith. That means now what God has promised and said he'll do, I'm taking him at his word that he'll do that, so I will now obey him. And what are these 12 things he wants us to do to obey him? If you summarized all of the New Testament, these are the commands of the Bible. This is what the Christian, the Christ-like person is to do. They're to read their Bible. They're to have their family in order. They're to memorize the scripture, to journal things and write down what God does in their soul, to pray and worship. To be a disciple, Christ-like. They are to serve Christ wherever they are, on their job, in their family. They are to be a public witness and evangelize. They are to meditate spiritually on the things of God. They are to have their finances in order. They are to choose the right kind of friends, and they're to be involved in the church. Jesus said, I will build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. There is no other business God has promised success to like the church. If you want God to build your business, build his business. He said it like this in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Now, when we know God and we show it by obedience, what happens? We grow in the characteristics of Jesus. We look more like Jesus to the outside world. A transformation of mind takes place. As I consistently read the Bible, my mind changes. If my mind changes, what then changes? 
my behavior. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. If my mind changes, then what changes? My, okay, we're going to get all of you to say this. If my mind changes, then what changes? Behavior. Can I expect to change my behavior without changing my mind? When you read the Bible, do you think it will change your mind? When you start following the order of God in the family, will it change the way you think about marriage and parenting? When you start memorizing scripture, will it change the way you think on a daily basis? When you start taking time to write out the things that God is doing in your life and remembering them, will that change the way you see your journey in life? So forth and so on. When you pray and worship, when you're a disciple, being accountable to others, living in community, when you're doing all things unto God, saying, Lord, this job is for you, my family is for you, this house is for you, when you're publicly evangelizing, when you're meditating, seeing your goals to the kingdom of God, when you are putting God first in your money, not loving money, but loving God over money, what's in your heart controls your wallet, not your wallet controlling your heart. Are you listening to me? This controls this, not this, that, right? And if you're making the right friends and church involvement, what happens? Mind changes. So all of you who look at your life today, which I hope you do, and say, I need to change, here's how you change. You do not say, I just want goodness, so I'm going to go to the Himalayan mountains, hang out with the Tibetan monks, and then mm, meditate on goodness. You'll never be good that way. How do you become good in the kingdom of God? First be born again, made good. Then learn to do good through these commands. What's a great way to become uh, uh, active and a participant in good? Serving. Being a servant of all. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Find a ministry here, volunteer, and start serving, and it will change your mind about how you act. You'll naturally see God guiding you towards goodness. Then as you are in the ministry here for an hour practicing with others, you'll learn to be good with your spouse, your wife, whoever, your children, by yourself in your homes. Where did I learn to be good? First, in the church, serving. That's how I learned to become the best husband and the best father. So where do I get joy? Do I get joy for $1.99 at the store? Is it on sale right now for 4th of July? I heard Aldi's is going to stay open till 4. Can I get some joy before my friends come over? People used to point to alcohol and say, here's joy in a bottle. Though God gives it to us to enjoy and it can gladden our hearts, is that the source of real joy, alcohol? So where do you get joy? Well, I get joy from God because God's so awesome. Well, the scripture does say his presence is the fullness of joy. That is true. But how do you learn to practice the presence of God? Some of you don't know how to practice the presence of God because you've never read your Bible that has taught you where the presence of God is on your job. Some of you don't know how to practice the presence of God because you've never wrote down what God is speaking to you because you're not hearing him. Your face is too much in Facebook until, and not your face in his book, right? You guys know that. And if you say, listen to me, I don't have time to do these spiritual disciplines. All I have to do is look at your life and your Facebook status to see that's a lie. You have time to serve God. Can I hear an amen? Now, I want you to think about what spiritual disciplines are as we get ready to hear about soul journaling. So, spiritual disciplines are the commands and practices a disciple show in their life to grow spiritually. Everybody say they show it to grow spiritually. 
As I know God more, I will want to show my love for God more, and then I will grow more like him. The growing disciple will be transformed in their behavior by being renewed in their mind for the purpose of reflecting the image of God. How many want to reflect God everywhere you go? How many want people to see Jesus in you? How many want your face to reflect what your heart is feeling? So if you've got joy in your life right now, tell your face and smile. Come on. Let your face know what your heart is experiencing. Some of you are like, nope, this is what my heart is experiencing. I feel sorry for you and your heart. This is what my heart is experiencing. It's not always like that, but when it isn't, I go back to God and say, what do I have to do to make this right? Today we're going to talk about soul journaling. To journal from your soul, let me give you a good healthy introduction to this. Notes are always online. Like with the spiritual discipline of scripture memorization, which we learned last week, soul journaling has been the foundation of much of the Bible. So that thing we call the Bible, 69 books, 39 in the Old Testament, uh, uh, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. That's how we got our Bible. If no one memorized the word of God during the times of oral tradition or recorded their interactions with God, there would be no Bible. So think about that. What God is asking you to do is in the same tradition as how we got the Bible. It's not the same as the Bible. We're not going to publish your journal as a scripture and now say, turn to the second book of Ricky, chapter 3, verse 1, and then we see in there, dear journal, I feel so alone. Nobody likes me. I just don't know how to get along in life. Thus says the Lord. No, your journal is not going to be regarded as scripture, but we can look to scripture itself and see how it was some people's journal. Consider the book of Psalms and how it was considered the personal diary of King David. The Holy Spirit used King David's personal introspection to be the background of the scriptural truths revealed in his writings. So just look with me to one of the Psalms that speaks so powerfully to us. Look at the Psalm 23. David is writing this down as the cry of his heart, the Holy Spirit is using it to become scripture. Not all poems are scripture. That's not what I'm saying, uh, that all poems are scripture. But what I'm saying is this was the journal of David, and now it's encouragement to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Come on. Has God ever spoken something like that to you? If yes, have you wrote it down? And if not, why not? Why are you, in one sense, wasting the precious communication between you and God? When I first got saved, I met a woman going through a terrible divorce. Her family was in shambles, and I realized at that moment that Life was tough. I hadn't had that bad of a life. My mom and dad grew, grew, uh, raised me in church. They had come to the Lord later on in life, but I was born into their Christianity. They had already known the Lord. I, of course, I made my own bad decisions, but I never knew this kind of pain and suffering, that what she was facing. But I remember her telling me one of the key ways she was going through it was by reading the Psalms of David. And then I thought to myself, wow, that's cool. I'm an 18-year-old punk kid getting off the streets, and I'm reading the Psalms of David, and they're touching my life. And literally that moment was so eye-opening to me that God's Word speaks to every person in every situation because they are God-breathed and God-inspired. 
if David would not have been obedient to hear from the Lord, where would we be without these powerful words? And then I began to think to myself, have I written down all that God has spoken to me? Now, many times people will tell me, Pastor, I don't know how to hear from God. I haven't heard God's voice. Well, this is why we're doing this sermon series, so that you can build the discipline to hearing God's voice. And the Bible promises you will. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and another voice they won't listen to. Another time Jesus said, those who seek they shall find. Those who knock, the door shall be answered. Those who ask will receive. So God does want to speak to you. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening like David did? And then you can also go to the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes by King Solomon and see his musings about life. Also, many of the prophets, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, have you heard of these guys? They contain diary-like entries to where God is directly using their emotion. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, to see this awesome prophet dealing with his personal emotions as God is talking to him. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. This is the journal of a man's encounter with God. I'm so happy he put that in there, and the Holy Spirit used this to teach me. Because if Jeremiah never dealt with doubt, then maybe I would never be a pastor here today. But since Jeremiah dealt with doubt, I can see that God is okay with doubters he doesn't quit on them. I'm glad that God is faithful even when I'm not. I'm glad that when I doubt him, he doesn't doubt me or himself. I hear that from the journal entry of Jeremiah. When have you wrote down what God spoke to you? See, these are the practices of the saints. These are the things that will keep you in times of trial. Therefore, it's good today for us as disciples to learn how to remember our experiences with God and record what God has said to us to do. How many want to get into this sermon today? Look at your neighbor and say, oh, that was just the introduction. Okay, now it's time to learn. We're going to learn about journaling today. Look at Psalm chapter 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with how much of my heart? With all my heart, I will tell of how many of your wonderful deeds? All your wonderful deeds. Sounds simple, doesn't it? It's a command of God. I'll give thanks to you. Okay, God, you're awesome. Lord, with all my heart, okay. Not going to hold anything back. Not going to worry about what my friends think or what my job thinks or what people from my past think. I'm going to worship you and love you with all my heart. And I'm going to tell of all your wonderful deeds. Sounds easy until you start to take it serious. And I hope you want to take it serious. See, I've been serving the Lord now for almost 21 years. November 5th, 1995, I gave my heart to Jesus. And wonderful works started happening in my life as an 18-year-old drug addict getting saved, not 12 steps, one step to Jesus, instantaneous deliverance. That's my story. I remember that. But there was November 6th. November 7th, November 8th, there was 95, there was 96, there was 97. Hold on now. I have a problem with keeping this command. 
I don't remember all of his wonderful things. God did wonderful things, and I can't remember them. Why not? Because I didn't write them down. Think about that. I can't show you a scripture in the Bible that says, thus says the Lord, write down everything I tell you and never forget. But I can show you scriptures in the Bible where they did write down what God told them and it helped them not to forget because the command has to be followed and I believe the best way to remember all that God has done is to write it down. Can you remember all that God has did in your life? If I said to you right now, literally, if I said to you, tell me all the wonderful deeds of the Lord that he's done in your life, you may say, Pastor, you don't have enough time. That's great. We'll be here a while, right? But how many do you think you could recall from memory? I guarantee you, if you've been saved even more than a year, you would eventually get to the point and go, yeah, I think that's about it, but I, I don't really remember a lot of the other stuff. And now we're disobeying God's command. A part of our strict discipline that we need to apply to our life is that whenever God does something wonderful in our life, we need to be able to write it down and record it so that we can continue to give God thanks for it even when things don't look good. What's a great way to encourage yourself in the time of a valley where God seems hidden to go back and remember the 101 other times he came through and turned your test into testimony and made your mess a message? But if you don't have them written down, you forget the devil's a what? A liar. Now he'll just say, nothing's ever changed really for you. Things have been pretty much the same. You're a little religious, but hey, hey, that doesn't change a lot of your life. Just look at all the terrible things. And instead of him looking at the mountaintops of God, he'll just point to all the valleys. And if you don't have a way of remembering those mountaintops, you can start looking only at the valleys. There's a challenge to us there, isn't there? I know I'm convicted by this. Look at Psalm 62.8. Trust in him at all times. Okay, I got you, David. You people, pour out your hearts to him. Okay, I got it. For God is our refuge. Simple, right? I'm going to pour out my heart today. I'm going I'm to pour out my heart. That's a command. Let's do it today. Let's pour out our heart. If I just handed you this mic and said, pour out your heart to God, it, if you could get over the embarrassment or sharing anything personal, and you would just be brutally honest with us, how much of your heart do you think you could do? Or in other words, when you're in your prayer closet and you pour out your heart to God and there's nobody there, how much do you really get out? If you're like me, you start pouring out your heart and then all of a sudden you start thinking about dinner, start thinking about lunch, you get a little distracted. Oh, okay, where was I, God? Okay, Lord, I'm so thankful for this. And then, well, God, I got to get up early tomorrow and get gas because my car's on E, and then I got to go get the oil. And then before you know it, you're distracted. And if you look at your prayer time, because I hope most of you have a prayer time, if you look at that 15, 20, 30-minute time with the Lord, you're pouring out your heart probably came to be what, three or four sentences? But now imagine if I said this to you, write out your heart to God. How many know now that takes a different discipline? Because now you're not just going to keep repeating the same thing as we do oftentimes in our prayer. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. Woo! I love you, God. I love you, God. I'm pouring out my heart. I love you, love you, love you. Did I tell you I love you, God? I love you, God. Okay, I poured out my heart to the Lord because you'll just look at yourself. I love you, God. I love you, God. Well, maybe I should stop writing that and say something else now because that doesn't make a lot of sense to keep saying, I love you, God. Watch. Because you kept my wife and I safe when we were in a car accident on the way home from our friend's house, and a guy ran the red light, totaled both cars, broke my wife's ankle, 
put her into the hospital and changed our life for six months, and now she's just starting to walk again. Thank you, God, that that day, Bethany, Hannah, Lucas, and Zoe all made it home safely. That's a different kind of way of talking to God now, isn't it? It's a true story in my life. Why? Because now I'm concentrating on what I want to say to God. You know what's funny about this is David's writing this down while he's telling you about what he's doing. Remember, he wrote it down. Why? Because he doesn't want to forget. He wants to trust in God at all times. He really wants to pour out his heart. That's why he wrote down that he wants to pour out his heart. Look at Psalms 143.5. I remember the days of long ago. I think you know where I'm going to go on that one, don't you? I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works. I consider what your hands have done. When was the last time you meditated on all the works of God and all the things he has done? Well, I think I can remember about 15 of them. I remember he saved me, and one day I was sick, he healed me. And, yeah, on that time we were in a car accident, and, we did, and there was another time I didn't have money. I mean, you've been alive 365 days this year, right? I mean, you, you, you've been living all this time, but somehow you can only remember 15 events in your life? David said, while he's writing down this, I remember your works of long ago. Well, how do you think he did that? By going back to the other things he wrote down to help him remember. Now, if you want to say to me, Pastor, I'm a savant. I can remember things. I have, a, uh, you know, just the best mind you can imagine. Well, then let that be your conscience between God on Judgment Day because God will have expected you to truly remember those things. But I'll be honest with you, this is my hardest thing. This is my hardest thing. Out of all the spiritual disciplines, this one is the hardest for me. Out of all 12, this is the hardest. Why? Because I, can, I, I trick myself all the time and go, I'll remember that. I mean, that was powerful. And, it, you know, I can't forget that, man. I'll remember that. I'm a pastor, man. I'll remember that. And then a few days will go by, and I'll literally be asking my wife and be like, what was that testimony? And now watch, watch. I'll, be, I'll, I'll say, what is that testimony? And, and, and she'll say, well, what were you talking about? And I'll say, oh, this and that. And she, oh, she goes, yeah, this is what it was. But you know what I'll remember more than that testimony? I'll remember the negative. You see, we'll remember that bad thing more than we'll remember that good thing. Let me just give you an example. You'll remember that day you were sick more than the 300, uh, you were sick one day, more than all the 364 days you were healthy. See, sometimes we don't appreciate things till they're gone. When that car accident happened in December with my wife and I, and our life changed just like that, I mean, at that moment, the car accident happened, the, the smoke is coming from the engine, people are running to the site, I'm hearing my wife screaming, I'm in shock, I'm calling my wife when I'm supposed to be calling 911, I call her and her phone's ringing, it's so confusing. When that moment happened, I had no idea what I had had until I had just lost it. I had no idea how much I was blessed until my wife was laid up in a hospital and I had to go home without her that night. I just wonder if there's anybody else here like that today. Did you thank God for a safe trip here just in our time of praise and worship? Just in our time of worshiping God, did you say, Lord, thank you to be here safe and alive today? 
in our time of praying and worshiping? Did you already thank God for your sound mind, your breath, all of those things? Are you even able to remember what God has done in the last 24 hours for you? Or are you just thinking about that one negative thing your boss said on Friday before you got off work, what that one person did in traffic? You see, this is the healthy life of a Christian. This is the disciplined life of a Christian. This is where we fight for our victory. We don't just come to church once a week, clap and sing, and then say we're victorious. No, we learn to remember the days of long ago. We learn to remember when God got our back. We start to meditate on those works and consider what he has done. Look at Jeremiah 32, uh, 30, verse 2. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. See, Jeremiah took it serious what God was saying to him. In Revelation 1, 10 through 11, got to keep moving on here. Listen, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. How many know Sunday is the Lord's day? And John said, I was in the Spirit. If you want God to speak to you, you need to make a habit of getting to church on the Lord's day so you can hear the Spirit here and then know how to hear it at home. Hello? But he was persecuted. He, didn't, he wasn't able to go to church. He, he was boiled alive. They couldn't kill him that way. And then they exiled him to the island of Patmos. And here he is still having church, couldn't shut him down. Though some people, all they need is a long Saturday night. They don't come to church on Sunday. But that's another discussion. This man still had church even though he was being threatened with his, uh, people trying to kill him. He, heard he said, I heard behind me a loud voice like a, tri a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see, now watch this, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergium, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Let me give you an application of this that may cause a tear to come down my eye. God said to John, John, I love my churches. I'm going to show you some things my churches need to know. But this is what you got to do, John. You got to take time and write it down on a scroll. And then you got to take that time to give it to them. When I was hearing this in my heart, what God was saying to me is, son, talking to me, he says, I got things I want to show you. I got things I want to do in your life. And I want you to write them down and give them to your children. I want you to give them to Bethany, Hannah, Lucas, and Zoe. I want you to give them to the church, the leaders. And I started to think about my personal journals and how God can use them to encourage others. I wonder if there's anybody here today that's going through something that's not just for them, but it's for God to do something through them. I wonder if there's some mother here today like my mother who used to make her den, her prayer room. And I wonder if there's anybody getting words for their children today who aren't even serving God yet. My mom had words for me written down in her journal before I even served God. I could show them to you right now in the Bible. She was here in first service. See, God wants to share some things with you. He wants to give you a taste of heaven so that his kingdom will come and his will be done. But are you going to be faithful to write them down? To say, Lord, yeah, I want, I want to take this serious. You are, after all, the God of the universe. If people have enough common sense to, to hold on to the signatures of authors of books or enough common sense to write down a quote and make it a meme on Facebook, God, I have enough common sense to write down the very things you speak to me, and I'm willing to pass them down as you want me to to encourage others. I remember sitting down with my wife, but at that time was a, a young lady in my church who I was dating, sitting down with Nancy for the first time, and her just pulling open her journal 
And it was literally such an honor to watch her pearl open her journal because she said, you just don't understand. This is what God said to me back then, and, that, and that's who you are, and that's what you're doing right now. And then she turned to another page, and look, this is what God said to me this day. And then now look what God's going to do here. She was able to hear God in the moment and not fall for a bozo or some bump, but a true man of God because she understood how to hear from God all of those years and write it down. Write it down. This is what God is saying to me. So what is soul journaling? A phrase that I've coined that can basically be summed up like this. It's recording your personal interactions with God for the purpose of remembering them. I'm hanging out with God and I'm going to remember them. The difference between soul journaling and just keeping a diary is the source of the journal. It's the source because it's what God is doing spiritually in your soul. Dear diary, dear diary. Who is dear diary? Who are you even talking to, right? Soul journaling is you talking to God and God talking to you. So let's go back to that idea where people say, I don't know how to hear God's voice. Well, now it's time for you to stop using that excuse and learn to hear God's voice. You were here for learning how to read your Bible. If you missed it, go back and see that message. It's on a video. It's in notes. Now read your Bible and start to hear from God. Start to pray and make time to be with him. Like in the natural, the world teaches us these things. Of course, the Bible confirms those things. When people say to me like this, do you believe in the Bible or do you believe in science? I'm like, I believe in both. Do you believe in oxygen or your heart beating to live? Both. Hello? Do you believe in gravity or physics or, you know, gravity or the law of motion? Both, you know? Centripetal force. There's a big word. Do you believe in gravity and centripetal or centripetal force? Both. Do I believe in God and the, or science? Both. But only one can explain the other. Science cannot explain science. Science cannot explain why is there scientists. Science cannot explain why scientists think they're scientists doing science work. The Bible gives the foundation for science, doesn't it? The Bible teaches us. Now watch. As we learned about scripture memorization, it's healthy for your brain to memorize and activate your mind and memory throughout all ages and stages of your life. Guess what they have studied and found out psychologically benefits you with, uh, guess what they have found out with journaling, that it benefits you. Here are the benefits, and I have the uh, resource as well that you can check on. Stretches your IQ, invokes mindfulness, helps you achieve goals, emotional intelligence, and I cannot stress how important this is in the world when people don't have self-awareness. If you would just take a moment to read all of your complaints, you would start to realize that you're moaning and whining. If you'll start changing your complaints to God's promises, you'll start to become strong in faith. You need to know how you're coming across in life. Put your thoughts in writing. Be honest, and you'll see if you're a complainer or someone who trusts in God. It will boost your memory and comprehension. Why? Because the skill of writing reinforces what you're trying to remember. That's why they say write it down so you don't forget. It will strengthen your self-discipline to say that I will write down the things that are important to me, planning my day and these things that I want to accomplish, a part of my journal it will discipline your life. It will improve your communication skills. Why? Because as you learn to write, you'll learn to talk. And as you learn to talk, you'll learn how to write. If someone's wanting to learn another language, what do they always want you to incorporate into learning another language? Writing the other language. Not just speaking it, writing it. It will also bring healing. Oftentimes, the greatest fears and worries and anxieties we have don't look so big when we put them in black and white and we take a step back. 
It will spark your creativity. Because your mind is in motion, because you're looking to hear from God and hear from yourself, you will start to come up with creative ideas. And then lastly, it will give you self-confidence. That is what the medical field says. Now let me show you how it will affect you spiritually. I don't have time to go through all the scriptures. I just wanted to list them out briefly here in closing. You'll have more effective prayer times as we've already looked at. When David wanted to have an effective prayer time, did he write down what he was praying? Yes or no? Yes. And they're called Psalms. When the prophets wanted to have effective intercession for their nation and name off specific things they were praying for in their nation, they wrote it down. Keeping track of testimonies. When the people of the Bible, like in the book of Acts, wanted us to remember the healings and the miracles of Jesus and the apostles, what did they do? They wrote them down. They began, uh, when you want to get serious about memorizing the Bible, how many want to get serious about that? You will write down the scriptures you're memorizing so that you will memorize them better. Write them down. And then lastly, you'll remind yourselves of God's promises and the answer to the prayers he's already answered. See, think of it like this. If I said to you, how many things has God done in your life? You might be able to name off a lot. But if I said, how many things has God done to your specific prayers? You may not have that very well memorized. And then especially if I said, what are the average times you wait on your prayers? So what's it like when you pray something? Because sometimes people think prayer is winning the lottery. But is that what it's like in your life? And you'll go, no, no, no. It, it, like for me, for example, I would say when I got saved at 18 until the time I was 28, I was praying for a wife. And I wrote down things like she did in her journal. It took 10 years for that answer to come. But I kept seeking God. I wish I would have kept a journal better of when I was first starting this church in a home Bible study because then I could hold it up to you today and go, see what God did? See what God did? I was talking about this when we only had four people. I was talking about us being a church like this, you know, but now I, I can't show it to you. All I can do is just say, hey, believe me, that's what we, 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 we were hoping for. Believe me. But I want to show it in writing. I want to show my children, hey, Dad prayed for this for 10 years, and here it is. God answers his word. Let me give you some practical things to do. Find a time to be alone and hear from God. Write down the things that God speaks to you. Write down your prayer requests. Write down the verses you're memorizing. Write down the things God has done and what you are thankful for. If you cannot read or write, this is a great motivation to read or write because you'll have all the benefits of those things. Ricky, will you get Rachel for us, please? I have a bunch of resources here for you to help to do good journaling. Now, I know today wasn't a shouting message, but has it benefited anybody here? Can I give you just a little bit of an example of how I keep a personal journal? Can I show you mine? You're more than welcome to use this. The notes are online. You can copy them and use them how you would like. Since I'm an organized person, those of you who know me know that I really like order. I have mine organized like this. I go through it, repent, replace, renew, rebuild, and recall. I try to do this at least monthly, and sometimes when I'm doing it well, I'll do it daily and weekly. And I'm praying how to do this better as well. I'll start off with repent. When I'm turning away from, I'll leave those dot, dot, dots there so I can always just fill it in. I repent for being angry with the person on the phone from the ADT alarm company. See, that's a lot different than just me going to bed at night. Lord, forgive me if I've sinned. Okay, I love you. Right? Now I'm being specific. And that brings back the memory of how I treated him. And it's a growth moment. It changes my mind and my behavior. Number two, I repent for being doubtful of God's promises to provide for all my needs when it's time to pay the bills. Does anybody ever get that feeling around bill time? Some of us are still in the grind. 
A lot of us don't have extra money. We don't have our reserves yet. So when it comes down to bill time, we get a little anxious. And God is teaching us not to do that, isn't he? When I write that down, I look back, I go, man, look at this. I had no reason to be doubting. God did it again. Paid my bills. I didn't know if I was going to make it, but look, he did it again. Then I replace what I'm confessing over my life. I use my imagination. I see myself, dot, 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 so I can always fill it in. Today, I, I see myself at perfect peace in God's presence. The Bible says he keeps at peace those whose minds are set on him. I see myself prospering and being successful as a great father and pastor. Do you think being a great father happens by accident? Do you think it happens by uh, circumstances? Oh, here I am now. I'm a great mom, great dad. Do you think they're ever going to interrupt the ESPN game? Boop, 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 special announcement. We need to stop. We need to tell all the men here how to be great fathers. Bobby, put down the bat and ball and the tights and put on some real clothes and come up here and teach us how to be a father today instead of teaching us something meaningless like hitting a ball over a fence. Now, nothing wrong with sports or ESPN, but are they going to stop ESPN to go, hey, this is important, fathers. Or is ESPN going to be potentially used by the devil to keep being a bobo in fathers' lives? Well, I don't got to go home today because I'm watching the game with my friend. And you know what? I'll go home next time or talk to my kids next week. No. Take the bobo out your mouth, man. Come on. Get into the Word of God and start praying and be a real father. Be a real mother. You're thinking I just got to be stereotypical here, but be patient with me because I know there's men who like to shop and women who like sports, but women, listen to me. You think they're going to interrupt you at Sears or wherever you're at? Excuse me, excuse me. Special announcement. We're going to stop the shopping, shut down the cash registers. We're just going to teach you how to be a great mother today, a great wife today. We're going to call over somebody other than the Kardashians to help you here, right? My wife, just as an example, could get on right now, make a video about how for you to be a mother or a wife, speak from more experience than Oprah Winfrey, speak from more experience than the Kardashians, all of them, and it might get a thousand views on Facebook. Let a duck face, and I don't mean this assaultingly, but listen to me, they get surgery to look like a duck implants let a duck face surgically implanted doll come before you and show you how to do makeup ladies and it'll give it 100 million views 10 million views and you wonder why we're doing so pitiful in our families and homes nothing wrong with the makeup video but are you hearing my heart with this we have valued the trash we have made our home the dumpster and we have discarded the mansion of god we have traded the, the million-dollar credit card for the dirty penny of the gutter. God has given us wisdom. God has given us power. God has given us a blessing and a teaching to how to live right. We've got to stop and think about those things. This is what Proverbs 31 says, ladies. Don't get mad. Just listen to the Bible. Beauty is vain and charm is deceitful, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Men... The Bible says the youth of the men will grow, grow weary, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. You see my point in that? you got to start thinking about more than just sports and makeup, more than shopping. I see myself completing my doctorate with good grades. How many want me to get good grades in my doctorate? Amen? How many got goals in their life? How many think it's good to think about them every day? 
How about this? If you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. You ever heard that? If you aim for nothing, guaranteed to hit it every time. A man was one time at the altars with his church. Everybody was praying. He said, go after God as we'll do in just a few moments. Pray for what you need in your life. And he went up to one man and he said, what are you praying for? Because the man just had his hands in his pockets and he thought he was doing God a favor by coming up there that day. And then, you know, he asked the man, what are you praying for? And he said, oh, well, uh, not really anything in particular. And the guy and the pastor said, well, that's just what you'll get today. Nothing in particular. When was the last time you came up to the altar and prayed and said, God, I want my family saved. I want my job blessed. I want my country saved. See, we may not see right now all the results of our prayers, but I guarantee you we're seeing more than many churches right now. We are seeing gang members saved. Two weeks ago, we baptized one of the main leaders of the gangs here. I won't name the name to cause any confusion in this church, but listen to me. We are seeing gang members saved. We're seeing homosexuals saved, lesbians saved. We baptized 33 people. 33 people two weeks ago, and I just got our numbers for June. We have 147 disciples in the church, averaging 220, and that's the kind of church we are. 80% of our church is in discipleship, and 90% of our church is in those life groups you heard about. I'll take that over any day, a mile wide in an inch deep church. Are you listening to me? That doesn't mean there's not other good churches out there, but I got goals. I hope you do too. I'm going to renew my mind. This is what I'm going to do to stay spiritually encouraged. Worship and pray. Why well, didn't our prayer walk today? And I'll write down some of the things that I'll pray about, right? I buy Bible read. I read John 1 through 4 today in Psalms 24, and I listened to a sermon, Joyce Myers, the wonderful Holy Spirit. That's what I'm doing to renew my mind, rebuild my mind. I'm going to start memorizing Scripture. Here's what I'm memorizing. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. And here's lastly what call what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for a stress-free day. Now, you know what's so cool about this? Is I modified my journal, but I do this, some, like I said, on a daily basis, weekly or monthly. I try not to let a month go by without doing this. You know what's funny about this is I started off the day repenting for the bills, and I ended the day going, that day wasn't so bad. God actually took care of me. Isn't that awesome? That really made me feel good. And then I go, I'm thankful for my health, my family's health, every bill being paid, and a blessed family in church. So here it is in closing for everybody. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. How do we do soul journaling? Number one, take time to hear from God. Number two, pour out your heart to him. And then number three, recall all those wonderful things he's done in your life. Amen? Would you just close your eyes with me right now? Let's make a commitment to the Lord to do this. We're just closing our eyes not to be distracted. But right now, would you search your heart and ask the Lord, is this something that you should do? Lord, should I make a practice of journaling what you do in my soul? We're going to get the songs pieces ready. You don't give your heart in pieces. As we get ready to do this, I want us now to make a commitment to the Lord if this is what he's speaking to your heart. I don't think we probably have any savants here today. I don't think there's anybody here that has a photographic memory, and even then you probably couldn't remember it all. So I hope that everyone's hearing the Lord affirm this practice in their life. For you to say, this is not for me, would be like the person that's out of shape saying, exercise is not for me. It's not humble. It's not meek and mild. It's pride. For you to say, well, this doesn't come easy to me, 
is just like someone saying, it doesn't come easy to me to go to work, so I'm going to stay home every day now and just collect a check from the government. Come on. This is not going to be easy to your flesh, but your spirit is willing, though your flesh is weak. And though your flesh brings temptation, you can crucify it, beat it into submission, and make it your slave. So right now, how often are you going to do this practice? I wish when I was 30 years old, 31, but most of my early 30s, I stopped journaling. I wish I would have journaled at least once a quarter every four months. I wish I would have did that. If my children ask me, what was it like, Joe, when you were 30? I will probably tell them 30 seconds of memories and that's it. If I would have journaled, I could have handed them a book and say, well, this is what it was like in my 30s as an early father starting a church. What do you think's better? What do you think's going to honor what God has done in my life? Just a few little memories I recite or really recalling what God has done. It's time for us to be serious about God. Lord, help us to hear your heart for us, to write it down. If the president sent us a letter, which I know they do from time to time, we would keep it. And Lord, you're speaking to us all the time and we're just letting it fly off our memory. And then we wonder why it's so easy for the devil to discourage us. Some of you need to say, Lord, forgive me for not doing it sooner. Some of you have known better. I would be in that camp with you. And so some of you, like me, need to really say to the Lord, forgive me, God. I, I don't have any excuses. I will now do better. Not to be saved. I'm not doing this because you're some evil, wicked stepfather. I'm doing this because I love you, and you already have saved me. Amen. Would you stand to your feet now with me and give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Come on, let's love him. Altar workers, would you come forward, please? Band, would you come? We're going to end in worship. Guys, would you hit the lights for me? We're going to end just singing the song, You Don't Hide Yourself. You don't give yourself in pieces. And as we do today, if you want prayer, would you come forward? You don't have to wait for me to dismiss. You can even do that right now. And then I'll dismiss after this song. So brothers, we're going to wait for you to get up the words here. But come to these people to ask for prayer for anything in your life, especially if you want the strength to start doing this. Because we're not here to judge or make you feel bad. We want to do this in a way that honors the Lord, okay? So let's sing this out before we go. We'll put up the words and dismiss in just a moment, but let's sing this today. Can you turn on her mic? Ricky, we're going to need some help back there with the words. Those of you who need prayer, come on. Come on. We're going to sing this until the stuff gets right, but... You don't give yourself in pieces. Come on, you don't hide yourself to tease us. And you don't hide yourself. We need her vocals up a lot more, please. Thank you. 
Come on, let's just sing this part out today. You don't, you don't give your heart in pieces. And you Just a little bit more on her vocals, please. Raise her up. Come on, let's sing it out, congregation. You don't hide. And you don't hide yourself to Jesus. Think about that today. He's here if you'll seek after him. You don't give. And you don't give your The Bible says, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. You don't hide. You don't hide yourself to One more time today before we dismiss. You don't give your heart in pieces, and you don't give your You don't hide yourself to Jesus, and you don't hide yourself to Jesus. Amen. We're going to pray and dismiss. Rachel's going to get ready to sing another song. You are more than welcome to keep worshiping with us. We call that the after party. You could even make time to get alone and journal right now about what God is speaking to you today. But no matter what, we want you to know that God loves you and that God is not hiding himself from you. What you will see over the next few months and years as you write these journals out from your soul, your heart, you'll see that God has always been by your side. Just like in that image of the footprints where there's only one set of footprints because Jesus had to carry the person, you'll see that truly during those greatest tests and trials, God really was the closest to you at that time. So let's pray before we go. Let's have Rachel pray for us, please, that we would be good at this. Thank you. Jesus, we just want to...